The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. Hello and welcome to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast, which you can download for free on the BBC Essex website. That's bbc.co.uk slash bbcessex. I'm Ken Crowther and coming up on the podcast this week, Jeff Hodge is my special guest. As well as answering your gardening questions on all things from tomatoes, passion flowers and plums, we'll also bring you some top tips on things you can be getting on with in the garden, plus plant of the week feature, all exclusive to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. Let's start then with this week's plant of the week, which is hibiscus. Many are in flower right now. They're actually from the mallow family and uh, there's nearly 100 species. They come from temperate, tropical plants of the world. Um, And many, which we sometimes use as houseplants as well, have large flowers. They're not hardy, some of those ones. um, And... You know, they're starting to be used in... They're grown in Mediterranean areas and therefore we're starting to use them in our own gardens in the summer, but they're not hardy. Huge flowers. Really, they're houseplants. In the garden, though, we have uh, the shrub-type hibiscus, which will grow into either a small tree or um, a shrub of about two metres high. And uh, they have a blue to purple flowers usually although there are some white ones, five petals and a column of stamens. Woodbridge was one of the most famous. Um, why was it famous? I'll tell you why. It was grown at Knockcuts Nursery in Suffolk in Woodbridge, and it was actually just a line of seedlings, and they suddenly spotted this one, uh, which was a lovely blue. It was a seedling. It flowers well. It's been popular ever since because it's got quite a large flower. Others, of course, are things like um, Dorothy Gray. It's a lovely white. Also, W.R. Smith. Um, And as a plant, it grows and it's a difficult thing to actually understand because if you plant one, it sometimes doesn't leaf up until May. So you think it's dead. Sometimes, (laughs) even later. But they're not dead. They come into leaf and then they come into flower about now in August. If you prune them, someone says you should prune them hard. I've never pruned them hard because I've been a bit shy of doing that. But anyway, they then produce flowers on that new growth. In autumn, the flower, the not the flowers, but the leaves go a lovely yellow colour. So you get a massive yellow colour on the leaves. It all drop off and then it stays in a woody state all the way back through till, um, till the next flowering season which is August what are they like open sunny spot fairly tolerant of most soils so they are ideal for you grow a hibiscus I've got some growing in gardens at the moment and they look absolutely fantastic so look out for that hibiscus my plant of the week the gardening hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther Still to come on the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast, Jeff and I will bring you some top tips on things you can be doing in the garden this week. But let's now hear what you've called us about. And we start with Sid in Clacton. Hey, morning, Hi, Sid. Start again. <laughs> yeah. right. Start again, right. Shall I yeah. go with my question? Right. Yeah, go with your question. Last week I rang you about repotting my saga palm, which I have done this week. Yeah. But it's, but it's nice to repot. But I found an ant's nest in there. And I just know what to put on it, and I want to know how much, how often to feed, and how often to water. What happened to the ants' nest? Well, I found an ants' ants' nest. No, what you do with it? Nothing. Well, it was in the roots, like you know what I mean. I could so have you washed it, it, pushed it out, or what? But no, well, I didn't do anything. I just slung it back in and put some, <laughs> something round it. Right, because the only problem with ants, isn't it, Jeff, is that they actually produce lots of sort of air holes around the yeah, roots. Yeah, yeah, there all. was a few air holes in it, yeah. Yeah, which will, which will kill, uh, damage and kill the roots. So oh. it's worth getting rid of ants in containers, definitely. Yep, right. yep. yep. Right. 
the stuff that I would recommend for ants in containers is a, is a, is the biological control, which is basically called No Ants, which is no, quite, I wonder quite, why. Quite a nice name. <laughs> Oh, and it, so, that's water-based, is it? You just pour it in? Or yeah, it's, it's, right? a, it's a nematode-based uh, biological control, yeah. You just uh, you, you get the powder mail order, you mix it up with water, and you water it on. Oh, right, mail order, right, okie-dokie. So that's them bio, no ants, right, okie-dokie, that's that one done. And I just want to know, because I think they're a bit funny about feed and funny about water, on these sago palms. So this was a sago palm. Are you, have you got it indoors? No, it's outside in the garden. It's been out it for years. Okay, all right. You must you must be quite mild where you are then, because uh, oh, it is collectors, isn't it? <coughs> yeah, well, it is. Yeah, it is yeah it's it going is, well. It's it been is. Co- I think co- it's about thirty years old. Okay, we've had it about uh, twelve, fourteen okay. years now. Costa del Clacton, because normally, normally, other parts of the country, you'd, you'd have to grow it as a houseplant. Um, oh right. Well, obviously, um, you know, all plants in containers are gonna. Stop. Well, I, sorry, I'll start again. Any plants going to, any plants <laughs> going to, going to, yeah. going to stop growing come the come the autumn and and, yeah. uh, and winter and start again in spring. Yes. Um, so basically, feeding. You don't feed plants when they're not growing. So no. No. Um, probably by about the end of September, you can stop any any feeding. Um, and obviously, when they're not growing, they don't need as much water. A bit like you and me, when we sit on the sofa, sofa yeah. watching telly, we don't need to drink as much as we do if we're running a marathon. No, so, so, I, so I just treat it as any other plant and then just give it feed. Well, because it's I, a because it's a sago and because it's a palm, um, you know, their their watering requirements are, are on the low side anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, you know, keep it keep it reasonably well watered for the rest of the summer, and then start cutting back in the autumn. And then over autumn and winter, just uh, keep it's an eye on it, and you know, it's just keep long. an eye on the compost. You should, uh, you you shouldn't be asking these questions. You've had it for 25, 30 years. <laughs> you should, you should know how much water it needs because it's obviously survived that long. You should be telling yeah, me. You should be telling me that, how much. And that is very important that people do ask us questions, and in fact, they often know the answers purely because they've been looking after plants for yeah. that long a period. Yeah, and Sid's just trying to fool us and catch yeah. catch us out, aren't you? I know, tricky. Tricky, tricky suit. Yeah, yeah, okay. And the, and the feeding? How often should I feed it? Well, um, uh, how how often have you fed it in the past? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just go around and get an handful of. Um, uh, oof and tooth now and again and just throw that in there. Well, that's there all again, again come, come the end of September, it's not going to need anything until till next spring. So, to, no, so you feed them quite regularly, that's what I mean. Is you, you, well, you, not, you not, just... not with an organic fertiliser, no. no. You no, could use a liquid right. through the summer. Ah, right. The, the, the yeah. frequency you feed plants depends on the fertiliser. So, so if right. you'd put that on in the spring, wouldn't you, particularly? Well, yeah. hoof, hoof and horn, yeah, absolutely, because yeah. it's yeah. organic and it takes months to, to work. And then yeah. use a liquid through the summer, that's all. Yeah. Oh, like, with tomato fur, like tomato would be okay for that or something different? You can be, yeah. I mean, sago palms, you, you don't really want them, you know, they're not grown for their flowers, but you, no. you, you grow them for, S- the, for, something their, for their leaves. Something seaweed-based, anyway. Seaweed-based yeah. seaweed seaweed on it, yeah, yeah. Liquid, liquid grow more, whatever you've got, really. Yep. Whatever you've right. used for the last 25, 30 years. <laughs> right, now we've got a tomato. Yes, why is it, why does it, go, uh, why does it go white? I mean, you know, white is the question, and in fact, the whitening of the stalk area. Do you know what? what is, you it's know, called, why well, is it doing well, it? Well, it's, it's mainly, uh, the, the main name for it is called greenback. Yeah, and although it's called greenback, it goes white. The, the insides actually go white, um, and it's it's peculiar of some varieties. Some varieties do it more than others. What are you showing me now? Oh, no, it's another plant. Don't worry about it at well, the moment. Don't don't, don't confuse me. White back. Uh, so uh, it, some some varieties, it, it happens. More you get than it a others. lot in the large ones sometimes, don't you? Yes. Um, you know the Marmen type. Yeah. 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 But it's also a good indication of flavour. So the varieties that do it are usually the most flavoursome ones. Very sweet. And it's often worse on those varieties, and it can happen with other varieties that it doesn't happen so frequently, when we have very hot, hot. sunny weather. And we oh. just happened to have had that. Have we? I hadn't, I hadn't <laughs> noticed. When was that then? When did that happen? Was that last week? The other week, yes. <laughs> Give us a call now on um, 0800 111 4041. 0800 Got any ideas what that one is? That plant? Uh, well, it could be a Rubinia. 
It looks more like a Rabinia to me, and it looks like a sucker, doesn't it? Could be a sucker, yeah, absolutely. Now, this is the same person who's obviously worried about their tomatoes, and they have sent us an email with that in, and that was from Susan James. So, Susan James, we think you've got a Rabinia sucker, would you say? Rabinia could be a Gladitsia. I can't actually... They come in from C. There's, there's not, not a lot there. There's not a lot to see in the photo. There's not, is there? So, uh, and here's another one. Shall I show you another picture while I'm... Uh, this think, is all good radio. Oh, it's for, good yeah. radio. Here's another picture. Are the webcams working? Yeah. Can other people, can other people <laughs> oh, see what... How about that? That looks like a sunflower to me. It looks, <laughs> well, it looks like the very last inch of a sunflower. It does, doesn't it? I don't know what happened to the rest of the plant. No, no. But anyway, that's a, that, that is a sunflower, and they're saying, what is it? It's a sunflower. Um, it's a sunflower. <laughs> or Helianthus annuus, if let's, you want to be posh. Right, yes. Now, let's... Uh, Possibly come, possibly come from birdseed, maybe. Yeah. Uh, that's where they come from, doesn't it? 0800 111 And, yes, I've got some texts that have come in on 81333. I have a hardy hibiscus with a plate-sized flower. It is beautiful. The plant is probably eight years old and about four to five feet tall. But it's in the wrong place. Can I move it after flowering? Now, most of those large flowering hibiscus are not 100% hardy, are they? Well, they're hardy-ish. But they, I mean, the, the fact that it's flowering, I would suggest don't move it. Because it's happy where it is, because isn't it? Because over the last few weeks, I have had so many email questions sent to me personally by people saying, my hibiscus hasn't flowered, my, and if it hasn't flowered this year... It's, give up. Give, well, <laughs> yes, because basically hibiscus, the hardy hibiscus, need a very sunny position in that uh, to get them to flower reliably they need direct sunlight on their stem and their barks to harden the wood to encourage them to flower and quite interestingly i had and that and that doesn't matter whether it's the these varieties that are being well they've come from warmer climes haven't they basically yeah, yeah. the large flowering yeah, ones Mediterranean, but yeah. the same thing happens on the traditional you know like the woodbridge ones and, yeah, yeah. and, and the hibiscus yeah, the bluebirds they all need a hot warm sunny direct sunlight position now interestingly i had a, a couple of emails last year about it and some people sent me some photos and in the photos they had grown them in a mixed border and there were plants growing in front of the stems which was shading the stems and preventing them from getting direct sunlight. And I said, that's the reason it's not flowering. Don't move the hibiscus, move all the other plants away. So they did that, and a couple of them have come back to me this year and said, guess what, it's flowering. <laughs> that's nice, isn't it? Yeah. It's nice to get a feedback. So and if that... you've got it in a position where it's flowering, uh, 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 I would be tempted to absolutely leave it and try and move everything else around it. If you have to move it, then do make sure that it gets as much direct sunlight as is Absolutely possible, possible in but your garden. of all things that don't like being moved, hibiscus is quite high on the list, isn't it? Yeah, well, and uh, any plant of, of age yeah. as well. And, yeah. of course, the time to do it, if you are going to do it, will be when it is dormant. So as soon as it drops its leaves in the autumn you is when I it. would do it. OK, that's hopefully helped. Sue from Halstead, and we go back to the phones, 0800 111 Jackie, we're talking tomatoes. I mentioned them just now, didn't I? <laughs> you did, you did. Hello, Ken. Hello, Hi. Jeff. Um, yeah, this is a problem. I, I bought my tomato plants this year because I'm moving in a few months' time, hopefully. Um, and these two two small plants I bought, one was of hanging baskets and the other one I can't remember. I think it was just called Tumbler. I've, I've lost the label. But they are they ripened very quickly in a, in a cold greenhouse. But they're really rock hard. Where where the stems, where the stalk is, they've never they're, they're still sort of green. And they're totally tasteless. Um, okay, well, the, 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 this is this is a, this is another example of greenback. So if you've got oh. green, if you've got a green colouring on the tomato itself near the yeah. stalk end, yeah, this yeah. this is greenback. Um, I don't know whether you were listening when we we opened the program. Uh, uh, probably, but whether I took it in. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, uh, well, it is basically greenback is is always encouraged in inverted commas. By very hot, dry weather, oh, dry, dry conditions. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so if you've okay. got them in a greenhouse, mm. um, you know, obviously in a greenhouse, they, you know, the, the amount of sunlight uh, that there has been this year, that is going to be multiplied by being inside a greenhouse. Mm. Mm. Um, and uh, and if you're not giving them adequate amounts of water, then obviously that is going to cause the the, the fruit to, to go quite hard as well, quite early. Oh, right. So oh, it's all it's all down to the weather. About 
sorry, about three times a day. I was watering them. Yeah, they were getting very dry. It's um, really just the hot, dry conditions, isn't that it? Yeah, oh, that's exposed great. to the fruit. Yeah, right. Nothing I've done wrong. Um, next year, when I move, I hope to grow them in the ground. What can I do to prepare the ground? Well, I've usually grown them in pots. Well, I I, I, I always gro- I always grow tomatoes in pots because I think you get far better far better. Uh, if you plunge the pot into the ground, you would get better. Wouldn't yeah, you? if you're going to grow them in the ground, then just make sure that it is you know it is thoroughly dug over, uh, so it, um, it's got plenty of organic material, whatever you normally use, you know, well rotted manure or compost to hold plenty of moisture. But of course, it doesn't um, you know it doesn't get waterlogged, um, and obviously give it some good feeding. Ken Crowther. This is BBC Essex. Back to your gardening questions in a moment, but right now on BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast, we've got some top tips on things you could be getting on within the garden. Uh, this week, Jeff, what you got for us? Okay, forward planning, but not too much forward, seeing as we're in the middle of August at the moment. It should be midsummer. <laughs> well, yes, but I'm thinking of autumn. I'm thinking of those lovely cooler days that we're all looking forward to after the heat wave. Um, and a lot of us do love our winter and spring bedding, and then we wonder why it fails and it never puts on the display and we always complain about our winter flowering pansies. I know what you're going to say. You buy them too late. You, is that too, right? well, you certainly plant them too late, yes. And a lot of us you know, don't like spending lots of money on plants, which is fair enough. So if you are going to do it the plug plant route... And so you're going to you buy small plug plants, whether that's mail order or sort of small plants from the garden centre. Um, you can do that as soon as possible, because as soon as you get them, obviously, you will be potting them on. And the idea is to pot them on so that you get a good sized plant when you start to plant them outside in the autumn. Now, that's the problem. People buy, you know, smallish plants, they put them in the garden. And when the really cold weather comes you know, late autumn and, and winter. If they haven't already developed their flower buds by then, they are not going to flower. So the earlier you get them in, the bigger they grow, the more buds they produce, and therefore the better the display during the winter months. Now, because it's August, we can actually just stand them outside and grow them on, couldn't we? We, oh, absolutely. we haven't got to have glass, No, have no, we? no, they're tough as, tough as mm. old boots. Yeah. So that's easy. Otherwise, they wouldn't come through the winter. That's right. So, easy. yeah, so just pop them on individually into sort of three and a half inch or four inch, that's uh, sort of nine to ten centimetre pots. Good potting compost. Yeah, as you say, put them outside somewhere in good light. Uh, if we do get some hot weather again coming along a bit later, you know, don't put them out where they're going to get sort of scorched. Just keep them reasonably well watered. And there should be about five or six weeks worth minimum of fertiliser in the compost. So, you don't really need to. Um, uh, to feed them much, just get them growing on, um, plant them out when you can in the autumn, and look forward to fabulous displays in the winter and spring. And I know what you're going to do next. I've got a, I've got an inkling you're talking you, you about psych- spring flowering bowls. You're psychic <laughs> because the two go together <laughs> so, they do, don't so they? well. Because while you're planting your spring and and winter bedding, it's exactly the same time roughly that you'll be doing your spring flowering bulbs so yes um, i've already started to see them being advertised so again they are available so if you you know a lot of people leave it till sort of october november and then too late <laughs> wonder why everything's sold out and they haven't got the varieties that you want um, and often th- certainly with things like daffodils you know it is better to get them in september early october if you start you know yes you can plant them november yes you can plant them december but the display isn't going to be as good as if you got them in September or early October. So look out for them. They're, they're starting to appear in garden centres. They're obviously um, online and in mail order catalogues. Get them ordered. You'll get the varieties you want. And of course, with the hot summer we had, some things might be in a bit short supply. Get the, get the varieties you want and then keep them somewhere nice and cool. Cool, that's really important, and isn't it? And dark until you are ready to plant them. And then, of course, you know, everybody says you plant your, you plant your tulips in, in November. Well, I've talked to a couple of tulip bulb producers and they say that's a load of rubbish. Plant them when you like. You can plant them at the same time as everything else. And, of course, if you want some autumn flowering bulbs, so things like colchicums, then they need to be bought in August. So you definitely need to have a look out for those now. Thank you, Jeff. We'll have more top tips for the next seven days later on in the podcast. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther. This is BBC Essex. 
Hi, Pauline. Good morning. Good morning. What, what, what shrubs are we talking about with yourself? I'm talking about a ceanosis. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got one in my garden. It's about four years old. Up until, well, up until now, it's been absolutely beautiful. It's bloomed in the spring and it's been gorgeous. A couple of days ago, I noticed that it must have been within a period of about four or five days. It's turned completely brown. Um, I don't think, I think it's, I think it's died, basically. But I just want to know what might have caused it. I would imagine drought? the drought that we've had for the last three months. Okay. Honestly, okay. a lot of plants. Uh, I think the trouble is with the ceanothus, it's got quite a toughish green leaf, hasn't it? Well, it's, the, yes. the, the, the problem with a lot of plants is that... They we, sit there with a the green leaf, don't well, they? Well, we buy these things that are called drought-resistant, and then we think that because they're drought-resistant, we they never, we never have to water them, and which is complete rubbish. It, it was getting watered regularly. Um, I mean, possibly not enough water, maybe. Yeah. I, I mean, there are, you know, know. The, it, whenever you drive in the countryside now, there are, you know... Trees. 25, 30, 40-foot trees that are 30, yeah. 40, 50, yeah. 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years old that are dying because of the drought. And even established plants are, are really badly suffering this, this year, even the ones that we think are, are drought-resistant. And... Ceanothus sits been... there green, doesn't it? And yeah. then suddenly, suddenly it has not got enough water and it dies. Yeah, yeah. Whereas right. a lot of so I mean there is there is a, uh, probably a couple of inches of green um, towards the trunk, as it were, because it's grown like a tree basically. Um, yeah. If I cut it back, I don't. It, it, will it come back? Is it possible it might come it's, back? Or... It's worth a try, it's isn't it, Jeff? Well, if, well, if there's green there, then the bit that's green is it has still got life in it. So in theory, right, the whole okay. plant is not dead. So by cutting right. it back to the green, it might come back. But it all depends on the state of the roots. If the you know if, if every right, single okay. root is completely dead, then there is absolutely yes. no chance that it can take up any water and survive. Okay. Okay then. All right. Well, I'll give that a go and, and keep your fingers you and keep your much. fingers crossed. We've got our fingers Thank crossed you. for you as well, yeah. Pauline. So give it give it a good water. I mean, the, the thing with deciduous plants is yeah. that they are really lucky in that when they get to this situation and, and their they roots drop. are under stress, they can drop their leaves as an emergency reaction to not having enough an water. Evergreen can't. Evergreens don't, or, or or are less likely to. No, I mean, if you've not noticed the conifers, the conifer drop, the drop of uh, needle yeah. and you know general debris underneath a conifer. It's huge this year. Yeah. yeah, It's like autumn already. Jeez. Let's go to Bill. Hello, Bill. Hello, Ken. Apple You're trees. Curdling moths. Yes. Um, a few years ago, I spoke to you about them, and uh, you advised me to get the little green hut with the sticky pad inside. The pheromone trap. Yeah. 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 And yeah. Uh, the, the, the sticky tape round the bottom of the tree. Um, last year, I had to get a refill for it. Yeah, good. Um, put, put that in there. I had I had a couple of apples that, that had the curdling moth in, but this year I put in the, the refill, did the tape, new tape and everything, and every one of my apples has a moth in it. Is so, there any other thing I can do? So did they not, um, did the trap not trap anything? Um, well, there's, there's a couple, of, when you look inside, there is a couple of pieces, of things in there, whether they're, they're moths or not, I don't know. Okay, well, it might. It, it might... sounds like it just hasn't trapped them this year, doesn't it? Or it might not be coddling moth that, that, that your problem is. What? Tell us, describe. What do you got? You're saying there's a moth in each one. When you open them up. When, when, I, when I open the apples up, yep. there's, there's, a, there's a, a, a dark brown mark coming from the bottom of the core going up into where the pips are. Okay, well, I mean, coddling moth is one thing one that does do that. that, does that. Um, uh, winter moth is another, and coddling moth traps will have no effect on winter moth. And it's winter moths why we put the greasy bands on the on the Which tree. Which he's doing for that, isn't he? Did yeah. you? Did you? Well, yeah, he's done the that. Greasy band. There is a couple. There's a, definitely a little green moth on there. So, have you? Are you renewing those every year? Yes. Yeah. Okay. He's done. He's done all the renewals, isn't he? And then the other thing that it can be is sawfly. So there's a sawfly that attacks apples. There's not much to do for that one, is it? Well, apart from spraying. Spraying. And and for coddling moth, if if you're finding that it is coddling moth and the coddling moth traps aren't working, then, you know, your only other option, as with the sawfly, is to use an insecticide. Oh. (laughs) And what can we use then? Well, um... Not much now. (laughs) 
Well, well, there's a few around. Well, there's quite a few. Don't, don't say, don't, well, I'm just being negative. There's loads of insecticides around that have approval for use on edible crops, including apples. Oh, the well, thing about trying to control sawfly and codling moth on apples is that the timing of when you spray is absolutely paramount. If you get it wrong, you might as well not have bothered. So the two times that you use it... The first time you use it is as soon as the flowers fade. So as soon as the petals start to drop, yeah. that's when you make your first spraying. And then, so, yeah. and then you do it two weeks later. And that you're spraying with, remind people? Well, whatever. What would you recommend? Well, I would probably use Provado Ultimate Fruit and Veg Bug Killer. Yeah. Oh, right. You were saying about the petals. Is actual fact, I didn't put the little hut in the tree until... Flowers. No, oh, you didn't tell us that, Bill. <laughs> oh, you put it in too late. Yes. Oh, I see. Yes. They've, that... already, they've already they've already started started messing about. They've already started having sex and making babies. So <laughs> you, you 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 need to put it in. I mean, it all depends on the weather, but usually early May is is one of the oh, best right. times. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Bill. Bill, go back to your go back to your, your your sex trap. Go back to your pheromone yeah. trap. All right, yeah. but get your timing right. Okay, thanks very much. Okay, Thank Bill. You. Best of luck for next year because that's what it is, isn't it? Let's go back to next year, I'm afraid. Now we've got a couple of people asking about plums. Let's start with Olive in Chadwell St Mary. Hello, Olive. Tell us about Hello, your plums. Ben, and tell all us, your crew. Tell us about the plums. Well, I want to thank you first for last year when I rang you about them. Um, I had a lot of plums, loads on there. Good. But um, they weren't ripening. But you told me I was being impatient. Yeah. And you were right. They did ah, ripen and I had a lovely crop. Patience is very important in gardening. Yeah, it's it also is. a virtue. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, now, this year I've got, I haven't got quite so many, but I've got quite a few on there. And um, my sisters and I went down there and picked them yesterday. Mm-hmm. It's about 20. But I didn't like the look of them. There was a little tiny hole in them. So rather than eat them, I cut it open first, and inside, round the pip, was really black, and there was little white worms there. Yep. So I didn't like to eat them. They they just went straight in the bin. Right. But now I'd like to know whether I can do anything to save the ones that are still on there. Okay, so that's I did, I did right. Now I'm going to go to I'm going to go to Ron at the same time because Ron, uh, you have got a plum tree. Now tell us what's going on inside the plums of yours, Ron. Okay, my plum tree is absolutely loaded. Yeah. And I picked some, a bowlful last night. I had to throw the lot away. There was little brown gungy stuff with one little maggot-looking thing. Yep. And... Uh, it sounds like the you it sounds like you and Olive have got exactly the same That's issue. That's right, they have, haven't they? And the issue is the, believe it or not, it's called the pink plum maggot. <laughs> Even though no, you think it's not, not pink. It, it, well, they, they, are, <laughs> they, are, they are pale pink. Um, were you listening about Bill and his coddling moth? Uh, I was, yeah. No, I missed him because I was phoning up. Okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> we'll let you off then. Okay, well, <laughs> the same thing applies to the uh, pink plum maggot as applies to coddling moth in that you can buy a pheromone trap from garden centres or from any of the organic mail order suppliers. And this is a pheromone trap that you hang in the tree in early spring. And and it uh, basically the pheromone is a sex hormone. It attracts all the male moths and they come in thinking that they're going to have a bit of fun because they can smell female uh, pheromone well pink pink, pink moths uh, and they get stuck on a on a sticky trap and uh, they meet a, an untimely end so that that can work although it's mainly used as a as a, a, a monitoring device rather than a control and if you don't mind using an insecticide then you can use an insecticide but exactly the same thing applies is that you have to get the timing absolutely spot on oh, and it right. is the same timing the timing is as soon as the petals fade you spray and then you spray two weeks later oh but i've never had them before well then you're very 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 lucky, lucky ron and I, I, and I would say i would say whoopee to you okay because oh, Full of them. I don't think I could eat any of them now, then, could I? No, no. well, after we've had this hot summer, it's encouraged more and more numbers of them. So, Olive, okay. Olive, so it sounds like the same problem for you, and have you picked up on what you've got to do now? I have, but uh, there are still quite a few on there. 
you know, so I'm wondering whether um, I've been using bug clear, you know, the spray. Well, it'll do absolutely no good, Olive, because the, no, the, the so maggots... No spray knows it on their net. If the maggots are there, they're, 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 inside. they're inside, and any insecticide will have no effect on them. If they're not in there, they're not in there. Oh, right. So pick, cut... If they're clean, eat them. Eat them, yeah. And if they if if you can't eat them, make some jam out of them. You can actually make jam if you get the if you get them before they've changed colour on the inside, uh, even if they've got the little pink insect in, you can still make jam with them, can't you? You have to do a lot of cutting though. Well, I, you I, do. I tried it once and you have to, you, you spend you spend about three quarters of the time cutting and, and about a quarter of the time actually making yeah. the jam. Okay, so hopefully Thank that's you very much. that's helped Thank Ron you. and Olive. Yes, Ron? Thank you very much. Okay, good. Bye-bye. That's Ron and Olive have been sorted with their plums, you see. Pink plum maggot, yum. Pink plum maggot. And out of interest, um, you can send us a text as well on 81333. Start your message with the word Essex. And just out of interest, um, Paul and Murty from Braintree. I have grown some medlar trees in pots. They are now about a foot high. When should I be looking to put them in the ground? This autumn they could go in, couldn't they? Easily. Well, uh, the first thing I would say is to make sure that they've got a good root system before you try transplanting them. So knock it out the pot. Carefully, just yeah, turn the, turn the pot upside down, carefully remove the pot, have a look at the roots. If it's, if it's got a reasonably really good root system, then planting this autumn is a good idea. If, they have, you know, if they're in a huge pot and they haven't developed a good enough root system, leave it until they have, so either the spring or the autumn. Okay, there you are. Give us a give us a text eight one triple three. Start your message with the word Essex, uh, and I've got a couple of emails as well. But we're going to the phones on oh eight hundred triple one forty forty one. That's the number to call, and there's a line free at the moment. Hello, Sue. Hello there. What you um, got? For- I'm doing some raised beds, yeah. and I've um got some soil that has been given to me it is it's been screened to 12 millimeters um it doesn't look particularly lively i haven't actually tested it yet and what i want to grow in the raised beds are fruit and veg um what i can what i have already got if this is good to add to it is pig manure and cardboard um, but I also, I can get straw, uh, fresh horse manure with, with straw, and bark or wood chips. Okay. I believe <laughs> the last of that. You've got a nice combination. The one, Jeff, I would avoid is the, is the fresh horse muck or fresh horse muck with straw because that always gives well, you a load of weed, doesn't well, it? Well, I would, uh, I would ignore anything that is fresh. <laughs> so if the pig manure is fresh, I wouldn't use that. No, too strong. Either. Any any manure? Sorry, was the pig fresh or not? Yes, yes, I'm no. It is. Any manure that is fresh is no good for putting into well soil raised beds or anything. It has to be sort of broken down and composted for about six to nine months. So composted is the bark composted? No, again that was fresh. fresh. No, okay, definitely don't use that. Whatever you do, so anything no, that you. Oh, sorry, the beds are going to either be anything between and a half. I don't, I, don't, I don't care how I don't care I don't care how high it is. Whatever you're going to put in has to be composted. It's got to be composted. Can you get hold of anything that's composted? No. Can you can you put it somewhere to compost for six to nine months? Yes, I can do. Um, well, do that. To raise beds. Well, just grow stuff that will to- <clears throat> tolerate you know average conditions. You grow spuds and stuff, and you could grow fruit in it, couldn't you? Mm, well, fruit will grow all right well, in average soils. It will start them off, and then you could add the manure later, couldn't you? Mm, I know you wouldn't, because uh, preparation is pre- so important. Because it's something that's going to be there for 10, 15, yeah. 20 years. Uh, I, I, go out and buy some. I would not go off half cocked and, and try and make, make your raised beds average. Because if you've got really good quality raised beds with good quality soil, then they will be growing fabulous crops. And it's, you might as well you might as well not bother if you're not going to do it properly. To be honest, right. when Ken says go and buy some, go, where, where do you buy rotted compost? Um, well, a lot a lot of farms will sell farms it. Farms sell it rotted. Um, there are s- stables will sell it rotted. 
And also you can buy it from people who sell topsoil and turf, you'll find. Yeah. They sell compost. And garden centres will sell it bagged, but obviously it's quite expensive if you need a lot of it. I mean, a lot of it you can buy is this uh, recycled material in one-ton bags from uh, well-known soil people. Yeah? Right, right. Oh, OK. Then. Have a look I mean, round got... at soil and turf people and say, do they sell, uh, you know, a recycled compost? And often that is very good. Right, OK. Could I also ask, I've been looking... Because each bit of this soil I get in, I never know quite where it's coming from. I need to do a soil test on it. And um, therefore, is, if, I've looked on the internet and the digital or electronic soil testers... What do, you want to, what do you want to test for, Sue? Well, I wanted to test the pH, the N... The P and the K. All right, don't bother with N, P and K because I mean you can Doesn't you can matter. you can alter that by adding fertilisers. So uh, to be honest, the the, the whole so thing you about would, get your you line your line is breaking up, Sue. So we're having difficulty finding oh. out what you're saying. So, but have another go. No. <laughs> right. Well, basically, listen. No, listen to Jeff. What Jeff's going to say. I know what Jeff's going to say. That it's not the. Acidity, once you've added the compost anyway, you will have changed the acidity levels anyway to a certain degree. To some degree, yeah. So really, what you're looking at is not that important at this stage. Well, the N, P and K is certainly not that important because you can change it by adding, adding, yeah. adding the fertilisers. And, and as you're, you're absolutely right, once, you you've add added, comp- once you've added the compost, particularly if it's, if it's a manure base, then the N, P and K level will, will change. change. The pH level will change. So there's no point doing any of that until, until you've, you've actually got the, the beds filled. But to be personally honest, once the beds are filled, I wouldn't do N, P and K tests anyway. But the one thing I would do is a pH test. And to be perfectly honest, one of the little chemistry ones that you can it's buy from garden centres that'll cost you a couple works. of quid works as good as anything else. Does that help you, uh, Sue? It does. Thank you ever so much. That's right. That's what we're here for. The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. Right now on the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast, myself and Jeff have got some more top tips for you. Now this week, Jeff, I've been picking up leaves. <laughs> now you think, hang on, hang on, it's August, isn't it? It's middle of August, and in fact, it could be autumn. Lots of trees. It really could struggling, easily aren't be they? autumn. Yeah. Really struggling. But we forget, it's very easy to just leave them on the lawn, but they don't do the lawn any good, and they're not really any... They, they're unsightly in the bed, so it's worth just raking them out, pulling it all out, and getting them on the compost heap, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, and, and of course, if they're on paths... You know, it should be have a few downpours. They're going to start slippery, slippery and they'll start to get quite dangerous and a a bit of a trip hazard. So really, uh, autumn has come a bit early. Trees are struggling, and in fact, we're going to see a few deaths this year of some of the trees. I I would imagine quite a few. I mean, uh, where I am, uh, you know, gardens local to me. You know, there are twenty-five, thirty-foot trees that have obviously been in years and years and years, and. You'd normally say, oh, well, you know, they're well established, you don't need to water them, they'll be fine, they're no problems they at all. But they're, but they're not. No. They have literally literally dropped because the plant is so stressed that it's not getting enough water no. through the roots that it goes, oh, get rid, of the, get rid of the leaves, drop them quick. And in August, that's going to be a problem for it to recover next spring, isn't it? Yeah, and it might take a, yeah. couple, a couple of years for things yeah. to recover. So look out... Uh, for your leaves and keep those off the lawns, paths and beds at the moment. Get them on the compost heap. Or make some leaf mould out of them. Yeah. What you got for us, Andrew? Well, I'm kind of uh, along the same sort of vein, if you like, because I'm thinking about rhododendrons, camellias, azaleas, Ooh. and to, to some extent hydrangeas. They're quite surface rooting, aren't they? Very shallow rooting. So they are mm. some of the first plants to show stress from drought. And boy, have I seen some stressed rhodos and camellias. Because people, again, you know, they think, well, they've been in there for 20 years or whatever. Don't, don't, don't need watering. And then, of course, they come out one morning and all the leaves have drooped and any flower buds that were there have all sort of dropped off. So it might be a bit late to be giving you this piece of advice, but basically give them a really good watering, a really good soaking. Um, and again, you know, they are producing late buds, flower buds for next year at this time of year still. Um, not the hydrangeas so much, but certainly the camellias and rhodos. Is it worth feeding them at the same time? Absolutely. Because or, or, they're struggling generally. I mean, I've seen some that have discoloured completely as well through yep. drought. And, of course, feeding with... Even if you're watering with a hose, you're not doing them a lot of good, are you? If they're acid lovers, are you? 
Uh, well, if you've got um, a chalky or hard yeah. water, absolutely. But yeah, uh, feeding is, is essential. But use a liquid feed so that you're giving water at the same time. But again, make sure that the, the, the soil and the roots are already moist. So don't do it on very, very dry soil because you'll, you'll shock and possibly burn the roots. So lots to get on with in the garden. Keep listening to the podcast as there's still more hints and tips to come. Ken Crowther. This is BBC Essex. We now go to Graham in Bishop's For What you got for us, Graham? Well, my, my question is going to be, should I be feeding passionflower plants that I've got? I bought two plants completely on a whim at the end of June. Uh, I've planted one of them in front of a shed. It was three foot tall when I planted it, and it's gone straight across the shed. And it's got, uh, it's already had two flowers and it's got two buds on it as well. The other one I planted next to a fence and it's gone six foot along the fence one way and three, three foot along the fence the other way. So, you know, um, I just bought them on a whim. They're tremendously successful and very pleased with them. But I am concerned, like the gent was earlier on in the programme, about whether I should be feeding them. Okay, well we're we're in the middle of we're in the middle of August. Uh, you you yeah. would you wouldn't be plant yeah sorry you wouldn't be feeding anything after the end of September. So if you wanted to give it some feed, although it doesn't no. although well, it doesn't sound, although it doesn't sound like it no, needs it sounds it. like it's doing really it's just, well. It's it, it's just it, it's it's absolutely amazing because it's just they've both gone for you know I I had to plant them in 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 pots. Yep. One's in a 16, one's in a 14. No, well, see, when you, plant, when you plant in a container, the compost has fertiliser in it. So, you, so there was the, 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 feed well, was this, this is, the feed was already there. This is basically my own compost. I do compost. Oh, I see. Right. Okay, all right. So it's got enough, it's, all it's got in is what I've thrown in the dustbin, you know. Okay, well, what you might find, uh, Graham, is That'll that it, out, it's growing it? really quickly um, and using up any uh, nutrients that are already in that compost. Yeah, that, that's uh, what I'm concerned about. Yeah, but they're not going to need feeding after the end of this month, really. So if, you, if, you, if, if you're going to do any feeding, it's only a liquid feed. Just use a liquid feed as, as and when. But, only, no... but really, not much more than four weeks maximum. Absolutely. Well, but but next, year, well, next year, they are going to need more regular feeding because they'll have used up anything that's in the compost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, it's, also, what, sort of feed, what, what sort of feed would I have to give them? Well, how long have you got? Um, any feed you like. I haven't got any. I don't, I, you know. All right. I, I well, I, for, all my, for all my container plants, I use controlled release fertiliser because I'm a lazy so-and-so. You put yeah. it in the beginning of the season, off it goes. So I, uh, I rarely, I use liquid feeds, but not that frequently uh, because your liquid feeds you have to use once a week, once a fortnight. A controlled release fertiliser you use once a year. So yeah. do, the, do the math, as they say. Yeah. Okay. After after buying these, I felt I, I read up about them, and I found that, that if I bought them, I should have put them in either in the spring or the war, or the autumn. But I put them in the middle no. of summer. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter as long as you look after them. I, and I wouldn't put them in in the autumn. Certainly, I would do it. I don't only, like autumn at all. No. You know they're there, and 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 we're absolutely delighted with them. Good, yeah. Graham. They are. Put in, give them some fertiliser next year and you'll be away and they will take off beautifully And come back you. to us in spring when we can tell you how to prune them. Otherwise, yep. <laughs> otherwise they'll just go a complete mess. And we go to West Mersey to John. Hello, John. Hello, Ken. Morning to both of you, gents. Can I just say, I've got a um, uh, standard um, Japanese Sano um, flowering cherry. Yeah. It's about, well, it arrived about two months ago, probably at the, the height of the heat when obviously the leaves were turning brown. But towards the end of its season, I trimmed it back and I'm just wondering what, what else, having trimmed it back, although it's being watered to keep it obviously fed, is there anything else I can do to help it? Has it got green leaves on it, John? No. Right, well, the technical word we use in the trade for that it's is dead. dead. Really? If, it, if you've had it two months and it hasn't produced any green leaf at all... Well, it did to start with. No, but it, it should have green buds or leaf on now. 
And right. if it hasn't, the only thing you can check is scrape the bark, isn't it, Jeff? Yeah, so start at the, the tips of branches or the tip of the stem and very carefully with your thumbnail lift a small amount of the outer bark. Underneath it should be green and if it is green that will signify that that, plant, that part of the plant is alive. And if it, you start at the tips and if the tips are alive the rest of the plant is alive. If that, the tips are brown or, or a white colour underneath, not green, then go six inches further down and do the same thing. And you need to move down the tree until you come to a green bit. Unfortunately, if you get to ground level and, and you don't get a green bit, then it is dead. Now, you said you had it delivered, so I would suggest that this might have been a faulty plant. Maybe, depending on... It's how, worth writing how, to the company, isn't yeah, it? If it was a new plant, I would contact the company that supplied it to see if it was a fault and whether there's any um, re refund or a, a replacement. A new plant. OK, John? Yeah, thank you. It is a well-known company. I won't right, don't, no, no, we don't want to hear, but uh, just drop them a line and that is the way to do it. Um, they're always pleased to hear from you. 0800 4041 is the number to call. And most... Uh, most Suppliers will ha will have a, a, a year's growing guarantee They'll on know. their plants, yeah. so. and they're very helpful. Most most companies are yeah. pretty helpful. Yeah. These but, days, most, but we're not good as people as gardeners because we don't we never complain. We always think, oh, I've, I've, I've killed why it. Why have I killed it? Yeah, <laughs> uh, Louis from uh, Braintree. Hi. Oh, hello. What you got? Well, uh, I so I had some little um, Babascum seeds. Right. Yeah. I found them sort of late on in the season. So anyway, I sowed them. I've got a, a half tray, and they're beautiful little seedlings. Um, will I don't quite know what to do with them now. I, I'll pot them on. Will they last the winter? So you said these were verbascums, Louis. Verbascum, yeah, you know, very tall with yep, the yellow okay. flower. Yeah. All right. Well, yes? well, verbascums are uh, are what we class as hardy perennials. Mm. So once you've potted them on and you've, you know, and I would put uh, seedlings into a, something like a three, three and a half or four inch pot, depending on the size of the seedlings, grow yeah. them on. And once they have developed a good enough root system that starts to fill or more or less fills the pots, then you can plant them out and they'll, they'll come through the winter fine, no problem. Oh, they will. Okay, yeah. lovely. Um, shall I put them in seed compost or is multi-purpose all right? Um, for what, for, for, for pricking them out? Yeah, for putting them on. Um, a, a good multi-purpose should be fine. Multi okay, that would be yeah. lovely. And they'll be all right outside, you reckon, in the winter? Yeah, absolutely, no problem at all. If we get a really severe winter uh, and they are still in their little pots, then you might need to give you know the the roots some protection from freezing solid, because um, okay. obviously they you know they're a bit like babies. You know, you, yeah, you might... I haven't got a greenhouse, you see. No, nope. that's not a problem. No, nope. okay. that's fine. I'll do my best. Thank okay, and keep us in touch because we always like to know successes, don't we, Jeff? And you know, and it's nice. And, and failures. And, well, and failures, that's true. You can give us a call now on 0800 111 That's the number to call. Or you can text us here in the studio. 81333, start your message with Essex. We've got broad shoulders. If we've said something and it didn't work, we'd, we'd, still, yeah. like, we'd still like to know. We do indeed. That we got it wrong. Now, Colin in Harwich. Not you again, Colin, is it? <laughs> Is it, Colin? <laughs> it is certainly. <laughs> now, come on, you're a regular week. You're a weekly caller at this rate. Well, well. Come well, on, I, when you I, when you go into Russia and then you won't be able to call us. <laughs> in October, I'll be picking. Oh, okay. We'll look forward to it. <laughs> no, seriously. What 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 are you ringing about today, Colin? Well, what I'm ringing about today, Ken, is uh, I show you the tomatoes last last uh, week. You did but indeed. I, I I had my runner beans, and I noticed during the hot weather they hardly produced anything at all. But no. since we've had this good drop of rain, they've really galloped ahead. And I was out there the other day uh, picking a few runner beans, and I, I noticed the bumblebees are not pollinating the flowers. They're going round the back, and like oh, I was looking quite closely, they're piercing the flowers. <laughs> And, and the flower heads are dropping yeah, off. We're, we're smiling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right, Jeff, isn't it? Yeah, they're, they're buggers. They do do that. They do do that, yes. Yeah, yeah. But I, 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 something in my mind tells me that there is... It's only the red-flowered varieties they do it on. I wonder if you've heard this or whether I... People, people do say that the white varieties are not affected as much. But then also the white varieties are better actually sown as a later crop, aren't they, as well? 
because they crop later into the autumn. Uh, I, you I, might not agree. Well, but I, I agree I that I agree that both white and pink flowered beans don't suffer as badly. No, they don't, do they? They are they they pollinate better, but I don't sow them any later. I sow them at exactly the same time as the red. So mm. I've got reds, white, and pinks all flowering at the same time. Um, I'm afraid bumblebees, that's what bumblebees do. And bumblebees generally aren't that good at, as, as pollinators of beans. So it's far better to try and encourage other bees rather than bumblebees. All right? Right, yes, yes. Well, the, no, the other thing I was going to say, uh, um, Ken, is I, I know you, you, you can't um, uh, perhaps agree with it because it's not on the bottle, but I was told about maras. Now, now yep. the, the maras are, are suffering or were suffering from mildew. Yep. And a friend of mine said, water down some milk and stick some baking powder in and spray it on the leaves. And I did that, and about five days later, it's all gone. Allegedly it works. Allegedly it works, but we possibly couldn't recommend it. The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. We'll be back to your calls, texts and emails shortly, but let's take a final look at the top tips Jeff has for us this week. OK, um, looking ahead to the summer this time. Next year. Oh, next summer. Next right. summer. And again, trying to save people a, li a little bit of money because uh, August is the best month if you're going to be taking cuttings of all those half-hardy perennial bedding and sort of basket plants you know there's your your hard your, your non-hardy fuchsias your pelagoniums or your bedding geraniums um all those perennial trailing petunias osteospermums margarites you know the, the ones that are just absolutely full of our containers and hanging baskets at the moment um this is the best time to do it it really is isn't it a lot of people think oh i'll do it in september when the display's no, it's over too late isn't it it is a bit late because basically what you want to ensure that the plants come through the winter which is the stressful time for them is that they've got a good root system and if you leave it till september when growth rates are slowing down they may not develop a good enough root system doing it now they'll put on a really good amount of roots and then they've got a much better chance of coming through the winter so Look over your plants, obviously choose um, growth that is uh, strong and healthy and hasn't got any signs of diseases, ideally not flowering because uh, you want all the energy to go into root production, not into sort of flower production. And then take your cuttings and ideally start preparing them and, and potting them up as soon as you possibly can. So you want a cutting that's eventually about three, three and a half, mm -hmm. maybe four yeah. inches long. Uh, you cut the bottom to uh, just below a leaf joint or a node as it's called. Remove some of the lower leaves. Um, I normally go for about two thirds. This is something you learn with a bit of experience. If you want to use hormone rooting, you can if you want to. A lot of people like to use it, don't they, they do, as, a, as yeah. a safeguard? But if you're going to use it, it's a tiny amount. You only dip it in. Yes. If, you put, if you put too much on, if you pile it, it on, work. well, it, 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 it prevents rooting That's right. rather than encouraging it. Um, and then into you can probably get, depending on the size of the plant, maybe three, four or five cuttings into a, a nine centimetre pot. Um, and I, I don't firm the compost. I, I, I very loosely fill it. I don't use dibbers to dib them in. I literally push the cutting through. And as long as you haven't um, uh, made the compost too, too dense, you can easily push them in. And that will actually get little bits of compost going into that cut end, which helps the callousing and the rooting. Um, into a into a propagator. Obviously, it doesn't need to be heated because it's in theory it's quite quite warm outside. Um, or you can cover them with a plastic bag if you that go down that. Quite well, doesn't works it? very well apart from pelargoniums. They their hairy rot. leaves mean they sweat and they rot. Mm. They need more air around them. Um, and at this time of year, well, and then put them somewhere with good light but out of direct hot burning sunlight. Or cover the the propagator with some horticultural fleece. And at this time of year. Probably in about two weeks, maybe three weeks, depending on the species and the varieties, they should have developed a good enough root system so that you can then pot them up individually. Then you've got to overwinter them somewhere. Now, ideally, it's a cool greenhouse. So that's a heated, frost-free greenhouse or a conservatory um, or on a... Windowsill. Light, yeah, light yeah. windowsill. But again, not one that gets too hot. Um, and then just keep them frost-free and then you'll be ready next year. And off you go. A fabulous display. 
Okay. What else you got for us then? Okay, well, I'm looking at, at lilies. Um, I don't know what, what, what it is this year. I don't know about you, but I'm getting dozens lilies. and dozens of questions about what to do with my lilies when they finish flowering. Not a lot, really. <laughs> well, a bit, a bit. Um, ideally, I always say you deadhead them yep. as soon as the flowers fade, and that doesn't just, as with any plant when you're deadheading it, that doesn't just mean removing the flower. That re- uh, means removing the developing seed pod. That's the whole idea of deadheading, is to get the seed pod Because if not, it's working hard to produce seed. Yeah, and you might as well, you've wasted your time doing the deadheading. And that also gives you, while you're doing that, you're looking at your plants quite closely, that also gives you the opportunity to see if you've got any red lily beetles, you know, the eggs, the grubs and the adults. So you can deal with those if you, if you see them. So deadhead them as soon as they finish flowering. And then people say, well, do I cut the stems down? Well, eventually you do, but you need, like with any bulb, you need to keep it growing for as long as possible. So if it needs watering, for instance, if it's uh, you've got them in your containers, then obviously they will need watering. You keep them uh, well watered if necessary, but you certainly keep them well fed while they still have leaves on their stems. And you keep them growing for as long as possible so that they build up the bulb and the bulb strength to produce next year's display. And um, It's only when the leaves and the stems basically go yellow and then go brown, that you stop watering, you stop feeding, and then as soon as the stems are completely brown, you just literally cut them down to ground level, and that is it. Um, If you've got them growing in containers, a lot of people say, well, do I have to repot them every year? Do I have to put the pots in the greenhouse or keep them frost-free? No, they're tough as old boots. You can leave the pots outside all winter long. It's probably probably the pot that will come to damage if it's a terracotta one rather than the bulbs. and I, I tend to repot mine maybe every four, five, six years. After a while, they get too congested. They get lots of little bulbs, and then you can repot them. But you don't have to do it every year. You can just leave them in the pot growing on and on and on and on for years and, and years, years and, and years. years of beautiful lily flowers. Thank you, Jeff. Now let's get straight back to your gardening questions. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther. This is BBC Essex. Terry! Corn on the cob! Corn on the cob, are we talking? Yes. Corn on the cob, I don't know when it should be picked. It's interesting because... um, When it's ready, Terry. When it's ready, because Ray has just picked his. Ray in the morning, you know, on on the show before us, Ray was saying he's just picked us, picked his, and it was delicious. He ate it last night. So how do we decide? There's several... I mean, people say you peel it back, don't they, Jeff? And then you push your nail into the cob. Don't know what what you're laughing about. And if it's milky, it's it's ready. ready. How about that, Terry? Um, yeah, well, well, I damage it. I've only got a, f- four plants, and only two of them have got any bulges on them, so I, I don't want to damage it by looking, no. if you if know you, what I mean. No, if you peel the very top back gently, you will not damage yeah. the cob, will you? No, you just, uh, starting where the tassels co- starting where the tassels come out, you, yeah. uh, you, you very just, carefully uh, uh, just tear back or peel back some of the sheath, uh, and in the top cob, or the top kernel, sorry, you just put your thumbnail in. Right. Okay. And and if it's soft, it's okay. It's milk, if it's milky. milky. If if, it, if each if the kernel exudes a milky liquid, then it's ready. Lovely. Oh, well, thank you very much for your help. And thank enjoy you. them, Terry, because they are delicious. Straight from the, as, which no, is what Ray was saying. Straight are. from the, much better than from a supermarket or a, well, a supermarket. Grass, they've hung the, about a bit, haven't they? Well, as soon as, soon as you pick sweet corn. The, the, the sugar starts. St- starts to turn to starch, Starchy. which means the flavour starts going and it starts mm. to lose its sweetness. If anybody <laughs> loves corn on the cob and, and but loves shop bought, I challenge you to grow some oh, and delicious. then gr- and then cook yours and shop bought exactly the same way next year and taste the difference, and you will be bowled over completely. And you can grow them anywhere. You and can grow them in the borders anywhere because they're grow ornamental. Them in a, but grow them in a block. Yeah. Nice block in your flower bed will look really nice. Let's go to Marion in Tiptree, but she has rung us on 0800 111 We can squeeze you in before 12 o'clock. And the text 81333, start your message with Essex. Hello, Marion in Tiptree. Oh, hello, Ken. Um, thank you for answering my query. Well, hopefully. Um, we haven't, no, we haven't, we haven't yet, so <laughs> no, don't say thank you too early. Hopefully. Yep. 
Um, I, I bought some Hilliborus plug plants last autumn, thinking I could put them in over winter, but it was obvious that they were too small to go in. So I potted them all up, and they're still in pots, and I wasn't sure whether it, it was still too hot or, or dry to actually put them out in the garden now. Well, what's, what's your soil like, Marion? I mean, is it like concrete? Um, it's not too bad at the moment because of the rain we've had, but it's clayey. OK, well, I mean... I mean, I've been digging in clay this week, and then you've... Well, not digging in, but working the top surface, and I've found that actually you've got about an inch of soft soil, and yeah. then it goes it goes dry and hard again. Probably, it hasn't yeah. gone in much more than an inch or so, has it, Jeff? Well, there's probably not been enough to, to actually... Permutate really, down. ...really soak through. It's all about the soil, Marion. If you can dig a, if you can dig a hole and, and without, without hurting your wrists or damaging your trowel... Um, then you can plant them. But I, personally, I would rather wait until things so cool down yeah. a bit and the yeah. soil gets a bit moister and, and leave yeah. it till sort of September or even I, October, I November. Yes, I was thinking of doing that anyway, but and I prepare the, ask your opinion. And prepare um, the ground well. Quick, quick question. Um, our grass is starting to come back, but we've still got some brown patches on the grass. Um, is it OK, <clears throat> excuse me, to put um, summer feed on it while it's still got brown patches. Well, there's no point if the, if there's no, br if there's brown grow. patches on your lawn. There's no point feeding because no. you know there's no gr there's no live in inverted commas grass there to, right. to absorb it. So I, I I would wait. Okay then. And then and don't the and hang on. Then don't. Yeah, I was. I heard you. What you were going to say, actually, and I interrupted you. Sorry. You were going to say how late can I put a summer feed on? That's not, right. Yes. Not much longer. You no. should be switching to autumn feed, and that is right. so important. People don't think autumn feed's important, but it is very oh, yes, important. Oh, yes, we do put it on, yes. Yeah. It'd be better to keep the summer feed for next year if it's sealed, wouldn't you? Yes, yeah. 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 OK, thank All you right. very much for your help. <clears throat> That's Marion in Tiptree. She rang us on 0800 1041 and on the text 81333 is Rob. Rob has said, my Christmas cactus has been poor flowering for several years. So mm. this year I'm feeding with a half-strength tomato mm. feed at most watering in hope. Good or bad idea? It's quite a good reason. Well, a high, a high potash tomato fertiliser will help encourage flowering in in any plant but well, i wonder whether he's moved it he's done something with it because it implies that it used to flower but it now doesn't flower so he's done something hasn't well, he? he may have moved it to a different conditions because uh you know they're they're, very sen they're, sensitive, they are quite aren't they? sensitive um it may be pot bound and he may be over watering and overfeeding during the during the summer because they actually like it to be reasonably dormant you know they they, they don't like uh, an awful lot of feeding well, in fact, they don't really need much feeding during the summer, to be honest, and they don't like an awful lot of watering during the summer. Uh, I'm going to nip over to the emails, ken.crowther at bbc.co.uk. That's the emails. And Shirley Charles sent us that picture, which she thinks is a lavatera, and she said, this year, uh, the year before last, I sent you a photo of a plant which hadn't yet flowered um, for identification. I didn't. She says, we didn't know what it was. So I didn't know what it was. You didn't know what it was? No, okay. I didn't at all. Anyway, she fed the plant last year, as told, and it's now in flower, and here it is. Now, she's calling it a lavatera, but it isn't a lavatera, is it? No, but it's close. It Ooh, is close. It's, it's so same fam close. They're same family, Very closely related, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. close family, aren't hibiscus. they? Hibiscus. It's hibiscus, so they are. Shirley Charles, if you're listening to that... It is a hibiscus, so hopefully you've heard that. Back to the text, Brian from Basildon. He says, hi, Ken, one of my lawns is always fully covered in a dark red-like clover. OK. Can you recommend a weed killer to deal with it? That's a pig. That's oxalis, isn't it? It'll be oxalis corniculata, oh, yeah, wood sorrel. Isn't it a joke? <laughs> in the that lawn. That is a pig, isn't in, it? Did he say in the lawn? In a lawn. And is the lawn dead? Or is it? Uh, is yes, it? it's well. No, it just says it's foot covered. Okay. I bet it's dead as well. You know. Don't well, you? well, if it was it's it, taken over, isn't it this time? If it was it growing in a lawn, obviously the only lawn weed killer you can use to get rid of uh, lawn weeds is a <laughs> is, is a, a lawn, lawn weed, weed killer. killer. Uh, and Vitax Lawn Clear, to my mind, is the best on the market. Um, but um, Oxalis is very, very difficult to get rid of. So. 
you might find that you're gonna this is gonna be a ongoing three four five six year project to get rid of it completely which is why i asked if it was the lawn was dead because if the lawn was dead you might find it easier and quicker just to to give it a good old dose of uh, of roundup kill off the the um uh, the oxalis completely but obviously that's going to kill the lawn if the lawn was going to stand a chance of making a recovery but oxalis is, is really difficult to get rid of now, Kazra in Lincoln, Ontario, Canada, has sent what? us uh, sent us an email. <laughs> is that is that is that down the down the road from South End? <laughs> Just up the road. Just up the road from South End. It says I'm finally growing sugar pumpkins uh, without the plant dying, and uh, she, uh, she's spoken to me before. She had trouble getting these to grow, and she's done well. I'm so excited, and don't want to miss the opportunity of getting some pumpkins. Should I pollinate the pumpkin flowers myself or let Mother Nature do its work? Also, there seems to be a lot of male flowers, but very few females. Is this normal? The male centre looks like a little stick, while the female centre kind of looks like a brain. Is that correct? It's a brain? A brain. <laughs> what did you say? Ontario? Ontario. Because she should have been having flowers... For, for weeks, months I now. I'm wondering yeah. whether she... I thought she might be in the Southern Hemisphere in Peru or something. <laughs> no, she's Ontario. OK. Um, well, yeah, well, yes, if you... If you there's nothing wrong with pollinating, helping pollinate, no, is absolutely. there? No, absolutely. No. Um, helping to pollinate plants that have difficulty pollinating. How would you do it? Would you take a male... Because my old dad used to take a male flower and then stuff it up the female... <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And just leave it there. And leave it there. But you have to make sure that, the you know, it's ready to produce pollen. So there's no point putting one no. that, that, that the anthers aren't opening and releasing the pollen. So you, you check to see if there is pollen available. And then, yes, you, you just shove the two together. Simple as that. <laughs> Literally. Yes. Simple as that. Yeah. OK, uh, let's go back to the text. You, I'll squ- uh, can I squeeze a phone call in? Yeah, go on. 0800 111 Anyway. I'll, um, talk, I'll talk fast. Uh, wood, uh, wood sprang miracle grow on my roses help them. Uh, it depends what's happening to them. Well, I think she's asking, is it any good as a foliar feed? And the answer is, if you are talking about miracle Grow, the, the, the liquid, the granules that you dissolve in water, it is formulated so that it will work as a foliar feed. So, yes, not all liquid fertilisers will act as a foliar feed. Some others are? Uh, Phosphogen will work as a foliar feed and Richard Jackson's flower power will. That works quite well. What about, uh, what was the other one I was going to say that used to be around years ago? Uh, no, lost it. Gone. 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 Some, some don't work very well as foliar feeds. Any reason why? Is it, is it an additive to the mix? Well, it, it, it's the way, it go it's in or basically not? Basically the way they're formulated and uh, slightly larger molecules that, that won't work and get uh, absorbed by the, feet, uh, by the leaves. Okay, so they are. Um, That's what we've got for you. And I just wanted to show you this one because I reckon this one could fox you. It's good radio, but this one somebody bought back from the Caribbean. I mean, what people bring back seed from the Caribbean and try and then recognise it. And I don't really know why, do you? No. Uh, and also it's illegal and stop it because we might get diseases into this country so stop bringing plants back in from holiday <laughs> and I reckon it's a carob a carob a C-A-R-O-B yes <laughs> stop bringing plants into this country from abroad please you could kill our industry and our gardening and our horticulture thank you I'll get off my soapbox now anyway Jeff, thank you very much for coming in we'll see you in about six weeks time you will The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther Thanks very much for listening to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. And if you missed any of the answers to the questions we gave, you can download this programme and take it with you wherever you go via our website, bbc.co.uk slash bbcessex. Don't forget, if you have a gardening question for us, why not give us a call on 0800 4041 and be part of the programme. Yes, that's every Saturday morning on BBC Essex from 11. The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther.